Once again, the main idea of our passage today, verses 9 through 11, Philippians chapter 2, is the exaltation of Jesus. Now, I try to give you an outline every week so it makes it a little easier to follow, so I'm going to give that to you now. In verse 9, we see the Father's approval and the vindication of the Son. The Father's approval and the vindication of the Son. And then verses 10 through 11, here's what we see. We see the universal confession of Jesus as Lord. Once again, let me give you those. Verse 9, the Father's approval and vindication of the Son. And then verses 10 through 11, the universal confession of Jesus as Lord. Look with me at verse 9. We see the Father's approval and vindication of the Son. Therefore God has highly exalted Him and bestowed on Him the name that is above every name. You notice how that verse begins? The word, therefore. When you see that word, it's very important. And the old saying goes, when you see the word, therefore, you need to know what it's there for. It's telling you, look back to what we've just been talking about. It tells us, it tells us why God has highly exalted Jesus. It says there, God has highly exalted Him, and it begins, therefore, which tells us, why has God highly exalted Jesus? Well, look back to verses 5 through 8, particular verse 7. Notice there that Jesus made Himself what? Nothing. How did He do that? By taking the form of a servant and taking on the likeness of men. You remember last week when I told you, I'd heard uh, some time back that Jesus taking on the form of a man and becoming a man was like you and I doing what? Becoming a what? Does anybody remember? A flea. God becomes a man. There's nothing wrong that you and I are born as men. That's what God intended. But for God to come down and make Himself nothing, become a servant, and become a man. Then in verse 8, it says that Jesus did what? He humbled Himself by what? Becoming obedient, not just any obedience to death, but even death on a what? A cross. The worst kind of death a human being could ever experience. Jesus obeys to the point of death, even death on a cross. Jesus has taken upon Himself humble servitude, which leads to what? Death, even death on a cross. And because Jesus has made Himself nothing and humbled Himself, what does verse 9 say God does? God exalts Jesus. Notice what He says there. God has... How has He exalted Him? He has highly exalted Him. The phrase highly exalted has the idea of being exalted to the highest place possible. Literally, it means super exalted. You can't get any... When I was a kid, I used to say gooder. Yeah? You can't get any gooder than that. You can't get any better than that. Jesus has been exalted to the highest place. Jesus has been exalted to the highest possible place. Notice that that is a contrast to what happened in verses 5 through 8, is it not? What did Jesus do in verses 5 through 8? He humbled himself what? To the lowest place, but now God is doing what? Exalting him to the highest possible place. From the lowest place to the highest place is what God has done with Jesus. This super exaltation occurred as a consequence of Jesus making himself nothing and humbling himself. He became a servant. He had the attitude of a servant and the actions of a servant. Notice the second part of verse 9. 
God has highly exalted him and exalted him to the highest place after Jesus put himself to the lowest place. But notice the second part of verse 9. God has rewarded Jesus and his humble service with a name. And notice what he does here. He bestowed on him the name that is above every name. When Paul says that God gave Jesus the name that is above every name, He's saying a lot more than just simply that the Father renames Jesus. Okay? What is meant here is that God assigns Jesus a name, now listen carefully, that does two things. That reflects what He's achieved, and the name also acknowledges who He is. I think the name that Paul has in mind here is in verse 11. Look at verse 11. And every tongue shall confess that Jesus is, can you say it with me? Lord. Now I need to make some things clear here before we go any further. Jesus has always been the Son of God. Jesus has always been Lord. He's always been the second person of the Trinity. God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. There's never been a time when Jesus was not Lord and then He became Lord. That's not what Paul's saying here. He's not saying that Jesus one time was not Lord, but now He is Lord. Here's what Paul's telling us. And stay with me. This is good stuff. I promise you. Here's what Paul is telling us. In Isaiah chapter 42 verse 8. Don't turn there, but make yourself a note. Isaiah chapter 42 verse 8. God is speaking here. And listen to what God says. He says, I am the Lord, that is my name. In the Hebrew, which is what the Old Testament is written in, the wording is actually this, I am Yahweh. But when you get to the New Testament, which is written in Greek, they use the word Lord. Lord in New Testament, Yahweh in the Old Testament. Jesus has achieved the same lordship, the same status with the Father over the entire universe. Not because there was a sense in which He did not have it before, but because now Jesus, listen to me, He achieves it for the first time as the God-man. He has never been a time when He was not Lord and He became Lord, but when He took on the form of a man and never ceased to be God... He became Lord as a God-man. Now this is very important. When I read you Isaiah 42 verse 8, I didn't read you all of the verse. The whole verse actually shows that the honor of the name Lord belongs to God alone. Alright, now listen to what it says. I'm going to read that verse again and I'll finish it. I am the Lord, that is my name. And listen to what he says. I will not give my glory to another. What is God saying? I'm the Lord. That's my name. And I won't give my glory to nobody else by giving them that name. Does it make sense? Is that making what God's saying? I'm not going to give the glory of my name to anybody else. I'm the Lord. That is my name. I will not give my glory to another. To give such a title to Jesus is equal to confessing Jesus as who? God. But now it's done as Jesus, the triumphant, resurrected God-man who was crucified, but now He reigns. 
We cannot ask for a more clear, more glorious statement concerning the deity of Jesus. With that said, there's another serious implication of this teaching that Jesus is God. Okay? If God the Father exalts Jesus to the highest place, that means He will view any lesser honor that you and I give to Jesus as unacceptable. Let me say that again. If God exalts Jesus to the highest place, and that means He he will view any lesser honor given to Him, to His Son, than He gives to His Son, if we give any lesser, God sees that as unacceptable. Who is God saying Jesus is here? He is what? Lord. He is God in the flesh. And if we give Jesus any lesser honor, God says, that's not acceptable to me. Here's the question. What do you make of Jesus? This is the question that reveals, I think, a person's heart. I think it actually reveals a person's heart to see if it's in tune with the heart of God. If a person does not desire to see Jesus honored, then that person is at odds with God the Father. If you don't honor Jesus, then you're at odds with God the Father. If a person does not desire that Jesus be honored, be exalted to the highest place, then that person's faith may be in question. Do you understand what I'm saying here? God says, highest place. My son is God incarnate. The God-man, Jesus Christ. I'm exalting Him to the highest. I'm giving Him a name that only belongs to me, which I'm telling you my son is actually God in the flesh. And for us to give Jesus any lesser honor than that, God says that's unacceptable. Another question. How was it that Jesus obtained this exaltation? How was it He did it? He made Himself nothing. He became a servant. And He humbled Himself by obeying God the Father to do what? To go to the cross and die for you and I. What did Jesus do? He looked out for the interests of others. Not His own interests, but for the interests of others. And how did He do that? He went to the cross. God came down from heaven, took on the form of a man, hung on the cross. He lived a perfect life. First, let me get that straight. He lived a perfect life in my and your place. You know the Bible? God calls us to live a perfect life. How many of you live a perfect life? I don't see a hand one going up. But God requires that. Jesus came and lived a perfect life in our place. Then He died on the cross in our place to pay the penalty for our sins. And He didn't stay dead. He rose from the dead the third day that we might be reconciled to God. And our response to that good news is that we repent of our sin and we put our faith in Jesus. And God has done what? He's exalted Jesus to the highest possible place and says, if you don't accept my son, then you're unacceptable to who? Me. Paul is saying... Notice how Jesus, who was more worthy than anyone who ever lived, how He did not promote Himself. Read through the Scriptures. Jesus is always saying, I obey the Father, I and the Father are one, but He's never promoting who? He's never promoting Himself. Instead, God exalted Him. Why? Because He embraced humility and He embraced being a servant on mine and your behalf. Now let's make some application here. And the application I make today is, is specific to groups of people. Okay? 
Verse 9, the application here is specific to Christians. Those who have repented and put their faith in Christ. What Paul is showing us here in this passage, what is it that he's showing us? I'm asking, what is it that Paul is showing us in verse 9 that corresponds back to verses 5 through 8? I think he's showing us that there is a different kind of exaltation in God's kingdom than the exaltation we see in the world around us. Now, I'm talking to Christians, okay? Now, we see human beings exalted all the time around us, do we not? It's usually because they possess certain qualities that set them apart from other people, right? They get exalted. They may be really smart, and we praise them because they're smarter than other people. You ever done that? Or maybe this person's really handsome or really beautiful, and when they walk into a room, what do we do? Wow, that guy's handsome or Wow, she is beautiful. Or maybe that person is very ambitious, and they're so ambitious that they like to promote themselves. Okay? They work really hard at promoting themselves in the world, and what does the world do? We sort of like that, and we promote and we exalt those people. Do we not? It should be understood, here's the point I want to make, that in the kingdom of God, it's not that beauty or wisdom or knowledge or influence or ambition are within themselves bad, okay? But they're not going to be the reason for exaltation in the kingdom of God. Paul is showing us that those in the kingdom of God who serve are the ones who get what? Exalted. Those who see others as more important than themselves are those who get exalted. Those who are humble, those who are lowly, are lifted up to the highest places. He's saying that we do things in the kingdom of God totally different from the world around us. We esteem and we evaluate differently than the world does. So, when you think because you're going the way of Jesus, you're a Christian, and you love Jesus with all your heart, and if, you, and if you're thinking, you're saying, I'm going the way of Jesus, I, I'm not pushing myself forward, and you're not drawing attention to yourself, you may be thinking, I'm missing out in the world. You ever thought of that? That way sometimes I'm a follower of Christ and, and I love Him and I'm, I'm, I'm serving, but you know I'm get, not getting the exaltation that everybody else gets. God is saying, oh no. There will be nobody who humbly serves the church of my dear Son. There will be nobody who humbly serves Redbud Baptist Church that will not be rewarded. God says, look at my Son. I've given him the name that is above every name. Don't think that I won't reward those who make themselves nothing and humble themselves to serve my church. The exalting in God's kingdom is different than the exalting of the world around us. What does God say? Look at my son who made himself nothing, humbled himself. I exalted him. I will exalt those in my church who do as my son does. In verse 9... We saw the Father's approval and the vindication of the Son. Now in verses 10 through 11, we see the universal confession of Jesus as Lord. Paul tells us here that salvation from sin is found only in Jesus. Remember what he said in verse 9? Therefore God has highly exalted Him and bestowed on Him the name that's what? Above, Above every name. And notice the first two words that begin verse 10. So that... Here's the reason. At the name of Jesus, every knee should bow 
in heaven and on earth and under the earth. What's being said there? In heaven, on earth, and under the earth. It's a way of saying everybody. Everybody. And every tongue confess that Jesus is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Again, Paul is referring to the book of Isaiah when he makes this statement here. Don't turn there, but make yourself a note. Isaiah chapter 45, verses 21 through 23. Isaiah 45, 21 through 23. This is a passage that I just gave you that sits in the middle of a section of Isaiah, chapters 40 through 48. And some people call it Isaiah versus the gods. And why they call it that is Isaiah is showing the difference between the true God and the false gods. Little g. And in this passage that I'm about to read you, here's what's going on. God is contrasting Himself to the false gods. Okay? Listen carefully as I read these. This is, again, this is good stuff. And there is no other God besides me. A righteous God and a Savior. There is none besides me. Is God pretty clear there? There's no other God beside who? Me. I'm the only true God. Now listen to what else he says in verse 22. Turn to me and be saved. All the ends of the earth. For or because I am God and there is no other. Again, is that clear? Do you want to be saved from your sin? Who did God say you turn to? You turn to me. Now listen to what he says. This is very interesting. By myself I have sworn, from my mouth has gone out in righteousness a word that shall not return. And listen to what he says. To me every knee shall bow, and every tongue swear allegiance. Have you heard that somewhere before? Who does Paul say that about here? He says that about Jesus, does he not? And in saying that, he's telling you two things. That Jesus is who? God. And in Him all the fullness of God dwells. The second thing he's telling you is that there is salvation only in the name of who? Jesus. Only through Jesus can sinners be saved. This is so important for you not to understand. You see, Christianity isn't a seven-step program of how to be reconciled to God. You know, you can go in all the Christian bookstores, and I'm against Christian bookstores, but they seem to have all these... Follow these steps to God. Follow these steps to God. There's not a person in this room who can be made right with God apart from the gospel of Jesus Christ. Until you humble yourself before Jesus and repent of your sin and acknowledge your need of Jesus and then say, I'm not good enough. I must turn to Christ alone for my salvation. Until you do that, you are, because of your sin, separated from God. Paul's reminding us of that here in these verses. I want to make this point that it should be understood here that this passage is not for a moment being used to support universal salvation. I was watching a TV program a few months back and a certain denomination was on there and they quoted this verse as an argument that everyone in the world will be saved. Universal salvation has the idea that every single person in the world will be saved. 
Do you know what? You read through this book and you find out something. That that is not true. That is not true. Those who quote this verse misquote and misinterpret this verse. The idea here is that every knee bowing is not that every one day will worship Jesus. The language here is that of triumph and victory. The idea of bowing the knee here is submission. Ultimately, every person in the world will one day acknowledge who Jesus is. Verse 11 says that every tongue will confess that Jesus is what? Lord. But it does not say that every tongue will confess Jesus is Lord out of joyful submission. There will not be universal salvation. But listen to this. There will one day be universal confession as to who Jesus is. One day, that will happen. Every tongue, every knee will bow and every tongue will confess that yes, Jesus is God. He is the Savior of the world. That means two things. And listen carefully. Either a person repents and confesses Jesus in this life or a person will confess Jesus in shame and fear on the last day. But nevertheless, Jesus will be confessed as Lord. You might be thinking, if Jesus having the name which is above every name, the name Lord, you might think that somehow that would take glory away from God. Remember God says, I give my glory to no one? Well, look back at verse 11 with me. Every tongue confess that Jesus is Lord, and what does it say next? To the glory of God the Father. Worshiping Jesus gives glory to who? God the Father. The Lordship of Jesus leads to the glory of God. When the Son is honored and exalted, who gets glorified? God the Father. The universal acknowledgement of Jesus as Lord does not take away from God the Father. And you know what? God the Father is not even jealous about it. Instead, that is the ultimate objective of what God desires. In the end, Paul says Jesus is going to be exalted above everything else and all glory is going to go to who? God the Father. Now let me make some application here in verses 10 through 11 specifically. And I want to speak to those of you this morning out of a heart that's... um, that loves you dearly, that cares dearly about you. And that is those who are lost here today that have never come to a point of repenting of your sin and putting your faith in Christ. The question for some here today is this, has the fact that Jesus made Himself nothing and humbled Himself on your behalf to the point of death, dying on the cross, led you to the conclusion that your knees should bow to Him and your tongue confess Him here and now? Even this very day. Here's what I want you to understand. Your knee can bow and your tongue can confess that Jesus is Lord today and that will bring you salvation. That will bring you reconciliation. That will make you right with God. It will bring you to the point of forgiveness of your sin. But listen, if you wait until the last day, Your bowing and confessing will not make you right with God. In fact, it will lead you to be eternally lost, separated from God. You get the picture? Bow the knee now. 
confess Jesus now, forgiveness of sin, and reconciliation with God. On the last day, you will bow and you will confess who Jesus is. But at that point in time, it's too late for God's forgiveness. And I also want to make this point clear today. There may be some of you here today that you've lived your life thinking all your life that I'm a Christian. My, my point I want to make today is, have, have you ever come to that point where you've bowed a knee, repented of your sin, and acknowledged Jesus as your Savior? Faith in Christ alone to redeem you from your sins. There is no other way. God highly exalted Jesus to be the one to redeem mankind. And to be right with Him means you bow the knee and you confess now. If you wait for the last day, it's eternally too late. Let's pray. I want to ask our...